good morning, church. Welcome to our neighbors. Glad to be together with you. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Neighborhood Church. We have been working together through a series that we've called Living as Sacrifices. Um, when, we, when we talk about sacrifice and, and, and growth, um, we have some markers in our culture, uh, maybe entrepreneurs or athletes who would say, you never achieve anything by except by sacrifice. And Jesus would say much the same, uh, much the same. He'd say, I, I have laid my life down, and so you also ought to lay your life down. Um, but we acknowledge that there's this, um, this desire in our culture to celebrate those who are not necessarily living for others or laying their lives down as a sacrifice, but um, are really just trying to build themselves up or, or, or want other people to celebrate just their selfishness. And uh, so we've just been taking a look at uh, Romans chapter 12 and, and the chapters that are surrounding it and, and trying to get, uh, get a, wrap our heads around this idea of what it looks like to give ourselves as sacrifices, um, to entrust our lives to Jesus and to follow in his footsteps. Um, and just briefly as an overview, as a, a quick reminder, life as a sacrifice starts with earnest prayer to the only one who can save. That as we, as we come to Christ, like he is the one who, who gives us life and he doesn't give it to us because we ask the right way or say the right magic words or have done the right kinds of things. He gives it to us simply because he is good and gracious and kind and loving. And so we start our life as sacrifices simply by asking, hey, would you give me life? And then having received life, I think we do well to turn around and say, I have received this gift, and guess what? There is more grace to be had, and there are people who are far from God who have not yet experienced and tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so we turn around and pray that God would reach out and that he would save others. Life as a sacrifice starts with earnest prayer to the only one who can save. So we start with praying and praying specifically for the lost. Then we, uh, we talked about last week, uh, 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 attendance. Where do, we, where do we place ourselves? Sacrifices place themselves in spaces that reinforce their identity and their calling. And that's really the, the picture of what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when, when the author here and, and Jesus through him is, is pleading for us to present our lives as a living sacrifice, he may have in mind a picture of a lamb that is brought to the temple and put in a pen um, to be observed to make sure that they meet the standards and the requirements of, of what a sacrifice is supposed to be. They're supposed to be without spot and without blemish. And so if you bring a clean-looking lamb and you put it in the pen, and after a couple of minutes it starts limping, it's got a little bit of a gimpy leg, you know, that's probably not the kind of sacrifice that, he wants, that you want to offer to God. Uh, he's not, God's not super interested in being uh, a thrift store. So we bring our best to God. And, uh, and, we have, and we do that without fear of rejection because Christ is our ultimate sacrifice. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we've been. We, we, we tracking? Yep. Okay, good. Tim's on it. We're ready. 
<clears throat> so before we go any further, let's pause and, uh, and let's pray together. It's our habit together to pray uh, the disciples' prayer, the model of prayer that Jesus left for those who would follow him. So I'd invite you to pray with me. If you're comfortable out loud, that'd be great. Uh, but at the very least, would you bow your hearts together with me and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> so, as we read, um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if you grew up in a church like I did, or, or you have watched church kind of from afar, you may have this idea that like, for me to understand the will of God for my life, is, 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 a, is a personal project. It's something that like, I have to figure out. I have to do the hours on my knees praying and asking God to give me direction. I have to do the fasting to make sure that I'm taking the right job or marrying the right person or, or whatever that might be. Like, it's something that, it's a vertical relationship where we would say, like, I need to know what God's will for my life is, which means that I need to go to God. And so, uh, as Americans specifically, particularly, um, <laughs> as, as Americans specifically, we uh, tend to think of our faith as private. Like it's, it's what's going on between me and God. I want to discern the will of God for my life. It's a private matter. Um, and I think we've made a mistake by doing that. That I, it's not enough for us to just bring our life and to lay our life in, in, uh, in God's sight and submitted as, a, as an offering in front of him to be inspected by him, um, to just be renewed by our minds privately. Um, but instead of see, considering our faith to be private, we understand that it is absolutely personal. Your faith is yours, but it is not private. It's not intended to, to happen uh, in, in uh, cloistered off in your own little bubble. Say, Mike. Where are you getting that from? <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, this whole, these verses that we've been looking at, which seem like completely vertically oriented, the very next verses, and I'm actually going to have to turn there. I haven't gotten there yet, if you'll forgive me. The very next verses are going to open up our perspective as our, from our American mindset that thinks that like church is just uh, me and my faith, my private faith. He says, you, like, you need to discern the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. So God's going to give us a measure of faith, and, and we're encouraged to think in accordance with our measure of faith. But how do we know what our measure of faith is? Four, verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, privately, personally, members of one another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In in explaining how we can discern the will of God for our life, he says God's going to give you a measure of faith. He's going to bless you with a certain uh, set of skills and abilities and resources. And he says the way that you're going to work out this vertical relationship between you and God, this personal relationship that you have, is actually by the expressions of your horizontal relationships with one another. That's a lot of words. It seems to me here that as he's describing uh, the, the expression of our faith, that at least in this section he's talking about you should probably organize yourselves and serve and minister to one another on teams. As you, it's like, and this is hard for me because I'm an artist and I just want everything to happen organically. Like if it's, if it's not just like growing and full of life, then I'm like, yeah, we don't need all the structures. We don't need the organizations. And so here's where the Spirit's like, like shaping me some. He's like, look, buddy, you gotta, if you want that vine to take off, you've got to put a little bit of a trellis underneath it. You don't need a ton of structure, but no structure at all is going to kill the plant. So let's go ahead um, and let's put a little bit of structure in there. You guys make a plan for how you're going to serve together. Identify what your gifts are. Know what your gifts are. And then use your gifts to serve one another. Know your gifts. What are the resources that God has given to you as part of our offering time? What are the resources? It's not just finances. Like, for many of us, God's given a car. And, and, and I think we could probably, in this room, look across the room and go, yeah, well, everybody's got a car. No, we don't. Most of the time, when I'm talking to uh, neighbors who are in need in our, in our community, the thing that they need is a ride somewhere. What are the resources God has given you and and how could you use that gift to be a blessing to other people? What are the experiences that God has walked with you through that you then could share with somebody else? Well, that's that's hard. I don't want people to know where I've been. I don't want people to know what I've done. I I don't want people to know what God saved me from. And yet, He gave you those experiences as a gift. Your story is unique. Like nobody else lived the life you lived. And he didn't make you, he didn't bring you through all of that stuff to bring you to a point where he was just going to let you hold on to it forever and never share it. What are the experiences that you have that you could share with other people? I know I'm a young man. I don't have the years that you guys have. And I say that with reverence. I'm not, not pulling shots, but just saying, you guys have seen more life than I've seen. And I need your experience. Because all I know is a very small segment of things. What experiences can we share? And what abilities do we have? My kids are real quick to remind me that math is not one of my abilities. I need people that can run the calculator, because it's not me. I, as I can make the paper look really pretty and get the lines straight, but I can't make the numbers add up, right? What are the abilities that you have that you could use to bless other people? Not everybody can just pick up the guitar and everything just flow out musically like Carlos. He has a gift, and he's chosen to share it with us. Not so that we can think about how great Carlos is, but so that we might, 
as those who are receiving the gift, be better connected with God. And that's the point. Know your gifts, use them, and then realize the goal is not for you to feel good about how gifted you are, but it's to build other people up. The goal is building others up. Our, I don't remember what pictures I got. Yeah, we want to be on a team. Uh, I don't want that one. There we go. Sacrifice. Sacrifices live in service to others with others. Sacrifices live in service to others with others. Faith is a team sport. It's personal, but it's a team sport. By design, like right here, do you see the verses are are so close together that you need to discern the will of God for your life and you belong to others? You individually are members of one another? So, are we learning what gifts God has blessed us with? Are Are we learning? Like, do we think about it? Part of this, though, is... In order to acknowledge a gift, in order to receive something as a gift, like you actually have to have a heart of gratitude, I think. I think that's actually a key. It's an underlying component. It's going to come up later. But like, if you don't have gratitude, then you're going to think that like you don't have any gifts at all. Are we learning what gifts God has blessed us with? Pray. Ask him, God, will you show me the ways that you've blessed me? Will you help me to see clearly what resources I have taken for granted? What experiences that I'm ashamed of that you want to redeem? What uh, abilities that you've given to me that I might build other people up? God, will you show me? That makes sense. Like, that's, that's a churchy answer, right? Here's, here's, here's a different thing. You probably are not the best person to identify your gifts. I cannot tell you how many times I have said I'm really, really bad at that, and somebody's looking at me in the eye and said, you're an idiot. You're better at that than most people. I said, well, I, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to trust you. Other people have a better insight on what your face looks like than you do. They have to deal with it, Right? They have received the ways that you have shared your gifts. Like they can see into your life better than than maybe we're comfortable with acknowledging. So don't just pray and ask God to, to reveal to you and give you a heart that can see what your gifts are. Ask somebody who knows you, how am I blessed? This is real dangerous. <clears throat> this is real dangerous, okay? I was listening to uh, Pastor Randy, who is the founder of uh, the Great Commission Bible Institute. I was listening to one of his lectures, and he's talking about spiritual gifts and the way that you find them. And he makes a very similar point. And we make this mistake of thinking that kids just never listen, right? And so I'm driving along. We're driving down to GCBI. I'm listening to these lectures. um, And I I know Riley's in the back seat, and I'll tell this story. I don't usually share names, but oops. Don't tell me so. I have a child in the back seat, and they are distracted by a screen. They're reading on their Kindle, you know, whatever. And uh, I'm listening along, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, out of the back seat, I hear this voice. Hey, Dad, what are my spiritual gifts? What do you see in me? Oh. Pause. <laughs> There's a responsibility when somebody asks you, hey, what do you, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think my gifts are? There's a weight to that. But we belong to one another. Like if, we, if, if Christ has brought us into his body, we belong to one another. 
And, and we are, are, are poised to be able to encourage and build one another up. And if we just keep quiet and just keep our thoughts to ourselves, and we just assume that that person who does that thing is going to do that thing forever and ever until we bury them without ever having to tell them that they're doing a good job or that you'd like to help or that how can you support them in the things or whatever. Like that's where we go wrong. We just assume that just because somebody's doing a thing, they're going to do it forever. God bless Ryan's heart, who volunteered seven, eight years ago to run Kid Nation. We haven't seen him in church in years. Except for this year. It's been cool to have him in here and like to not have to ask him to do anything. He's like, you want me to read? I'm like, no, I just want you to sit. <laughs> okay, are we learning uh, what gifts God has blessed us with? Uh, pray about it. Uh, entreat God, entreat your neighbors, and also like just practice. I don't know if you've ever considered the fact that it's actually really difficult to steer a parked car. Go try something. And if it doesn't work out, turn the wheel and go try something different. Like, like practice. Like I think I have this gift, but when I get up in front of people, like the voice isn't there. I can't sing. There's a mental block. And so, okay, maybe you just take a time where you love the music, you've got an ear for it, but now you're blessing us by managing the mix in the back of the room. And you're blessing us by not being on the microphone. <laughs> Practice. It's okay to fail at something. You're not, just because you try to serve God with something and it doesn't work out doesn't mean it was a, a failure. It means you learned something about your gifts and now you've given other people an opportunity to love you well. If we walk in here and we all practice everything perfectly every time, there's no opportunity to encourage one another or to bear one another's burdens. This, again, is not a museum. If you come in here and have it all polished, then you're probably just going to be in the way. But this is a hospital, and we're sick, and we're learning, and we're trying to work towards healing, and some of us have full body casts on and can't really walk, and that's okay. Then, are we blessing others with our gifts? We can sometimes get in the habit of using our gifts because it makes me feel good. I feel good when I do these things for other people. <clears throat> It can, it can feel really, really good to see a neighbor in need and to just, like, give them everything, to, 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 to give them all of the Christmas presents for their, uh, for their family for the year, to just give it. And that makes me feel good. But have I given thought to how the one receiving the gift feels in receiving it? And, what, and, and, and how that's impacted their relationship with their kids and what the expectations, how they've changed. Like, I can feel good about the thing that I did that hurt other people. So are we a blessing, are we blessing others with our gifts? The next chapter, uh, the next couple of chapters in chapter 14, Paul makes this huge argument uh, about how to, how to get along with one another, and it's kind of fascinating. Um, but the, the gist of it is, like, whether, you, whether you're doing good or whether you're doing poorly, lay down your rights, the things that you're entitled to, lay those things down in service of other people. So that's Romans chapter 14. And the way that he concludes that argument, one of the ways he concludes it, he says this, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That vertical relationship and that horizontal relationship are tied tight. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Forgive me as I have forgiven. 
sacrifices, live in service to others, with others. Teams, I think, can accomplish more than individuals. If you've, got, if you've got a little bit of organization, you've got, you've got people with different gifts, and they're all being directed to use their gifts well, and, and we're working towards a common goal, I think teams can actually accomplish more than individuals. I think that's part of the reason why uh, Jesus never assumes that we're going to follow him alone. If you read in Luke chapter 5, as he calls the, uh, the first apostles, as he calls them, they're out fishing. And fishing in their day is a team sport. Like it takes, it, takes a, it takes multiple boats to bring the net in. Like none of them thought, like I'm a fisherman, and they thought of a pole with a stick because you're not going to make money that way. But if you're going to make money catching fish, it's a team sport. You're going to have to work together. And so when he calls them, he says, I'm, t- I'm inviting you to personally follow me by being on a team catching men together. Jesus seems to have never meant for us to follow him privately and alone. And that team of 12 changed the course of human history. Uneducated. Literally all they had was maybe a boat and a little bit of stake in a business. Like, but God used them to change the course of human history. Um, I got to go watch my sister at a, a CrossFit competition yesterday. She does CrossFit. It's, it's a problem. I'm praying for her. <clears throat> but it's the first time she's ever done a, a competition, right? And, and it's, it's hard. Like, it's real hard because doing a workout is one thing, but then to do a workout and then you get 45 minutes rest and then go do another one and you're doing as hard as you can and then you've got to schedule in and do another weightlifting thing and try to get your max, like personal best, and then you have another workout after that. Like, I can't imagine pacing CrossFit all morning. So I'm watching them do this and, and, and I'm, like, I'm watching them do this, and like the team, like this is her first competition. They, they competed against like real, real, real skinny people that looked like they had their act together. You know what I'm saying? They, they competed against gym rats and got fifth place overall out of, out of nine or 10. I'm like, the team is stronger than the individual. I'm pretty sure that any, any single individual on any of the other teams could probably outdo any single person on that team, given in a head-to-head. But the team competing together is competitive. You can't be the church by yourself. And you ought to be the church. Uh, church is more than a building to go to. It's a family to belong to. You, and you can't be the church by yourself. The word, by, the word by its very nature is actually plural. It's a Greek word, ekklesia, and it means assembly, a gathering together. So if we're going to be the assembly, you can't be the assembly all by yourself on a mountain somewhere. So find a team. Or, well, first, know your gifts. <laughs> Use your gifts in a team in order to build others up. Because sacrifices live in service to others, with others. Now, I think that idea, or his description here of being a body and using your gifts together, is is more structured and and, and it relates to, to teamwork. 
but it doesn't stop there. That's more of a formal kind of serving. These next verses, I think, reflect an informal service that, that permeates our whole lives. And so I want to show you this too, because I'm, I'm not just trying to recruit you to volunteer at a neighborhood church team. Like I didn't, I, that's not what I'm doing. I want, I'm just trying to show you the text, okay? So let's read some informal service. And, and this, uh, this verse 9 was almost the title of this series at one point. Let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think think this passage, these paragraphs here describe an informal service. Like it's, it's, it's something that's coming out of who we are. The attitudes and the actions that are reflected here I think there's an informal service. But that informal service is not mutually exclusive from the formal service of being on a team. Like, okay, well, I, I go to church and I serve on a team, so I don't have to, like, love other people. I just have to do my job, right? I don't have to, I don't have to outdo one another in showing, showing honor. I can just show up and do my job and go home, punch in, punch out. They're not mutually exclusive. And I can't say, I just love everybody, and I just want to give everybody a hug, and I show everybody honor, and I weep with those who weep, and I never actually plug into a place where I can, like, actively use my gifts to serve on a team. They're not mutually exclusive. They reinforce one another. You cannot serve well on a team without loving the people that you serve with. You cannot be constantly tearing one another down and then actually effectively serving on a team. You might be doing the minimum requirement of your job description, but you're undermining the morale of the team by the way that we show up. These things are are knitted together. They cannot be separated. Any formal serving according to these informal principles is actually radical. It forms deep relationships. And it's deeper than casual you know, once a month social exposure to one another. And it's opposed to a self-centered program of charity or philanthropy where I get all the spotlight for all of the ways that I give to other people. I'd like to read this passage again and just let the word 
let the Spirit do what He does in the Word. But before I do that, I was burdened this week. Um, because I think sometimes if we are familiar with church and familiar with the commands of Jesus, we can be real, real comfortable with passages like this. And be like, of course, everybody knows this, right? And we just kind of assume that we don't have to do any chewing on it. But, like, we think we have to, like, level up Jesus and, and do something to be more radical than Jesus. And there's a plenty here. And so as I was looking at this, I was just struck with like how, how radical these verses are and how contrary to all of the voices that I hear projected through uh, my screens and in my ears. And so I said, well, what would it look like to turn these verses into a secular manifesto? Like if we were going to take the structure of these verses and, and put in them the values of the world, what would that sound like? And so I'm going to read that for you, but I'm reading that for you with a, a clear caveat, like this is not true. All right, we all on that page? This is not true, what I'm going to read for you. I made this up as a reflection of the world, but this is not true. Right? Okay, great. <clears throat> Let love be tolerant. Ignore what is evil. Hold fast to what is convenient. Love one another with lustful exploitation. Outdo one another in cutting sarcasm. Do not be slothful in being stimulated, but be anxious in spirit and serve yourself. Rejoice in karma. Be outraged in tribulation. Be constant in criticism. Contribute to the injuries of the saints and seek to show superiority. Curse those who would question you. Curse and do not hear them out. Guilt trip those who rejoice. Mock those who weep. Live in harmony with yourself. Do not be honest and transparent, but clamor for the attention of strangers. Always follow your heart. Repay every evil for evil. Don't hesitate to look out for number one. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably by yourself. Whoever you are, insist that others honor all of your preferences. If you don't treat yourself, no one will. Scratch no one's back who won't also scratch yours. Do not be weakened by humility, but stand up for yourself. This is not true. But sacrifices live in service to others with others. So as I read again the truth, consider this question. Which of these attitudes is Jesus leading us to put on this week? And the word is, is it is, like, I can read something like this and be like, oh, I'm out. Like, I can't do any of this. Like, so let me just encourage you, focus in on one. Like, what is it? Latch onto something here. Maybe write it on an index card, stick it in your pocket, so whenever you go to your pockets for something, you feel that and pull it out and read it. Like, carry it with you. Which one of these attitudes is Jesus leading us to put on this week? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Which of these attitudes is Jesus leading us to put on this week? Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Beloved, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Spirit, I just ask that you would do the work that only you can do. Would you shepherd our hearts here in these moments? Would you give us clarity on uh, and an attitude that you'd like for us to work into? Not because we have to earn your favor, but because you've freely given it. And you invite us to true life. Lord, forgive us for our selfishness and for the ways that we have thought that we could be right with you while being angry and hostile to our brothers and our sisters. Would you bind us together by your spirit? Would you fill us with your genuine, pure, true love that we might serve one another together? Would you give us wisdom and guidance on, on how to organize ourselves to serve well as a team, to accomplish more together than any of us could individually, but for, for your DNA, for your true love to be the guiding force in our team. And for any of us who have tried to walk this path, in the past, Lord, we know that we cannot do it. We cannot muster up the strength. We cannot carve the smile onto our face and force our way through it. We can't control other people. 
So we submit our lives to you. Would you change our hearts? Would you inspect our soul? Would you do the surgery that brings healing? We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.